From award-winning restaurant industry news to original analysis and reporting you can't get anywhere else, restaurant business memberships provide you with the information you need to future-proof your operation. Subscribe now with code RBPODCAST21 for a free 30-day trial and get the tools you need for growth and success. Get ready to pay more to lease that new restaurant site. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Barry Wolf, Senior Managing Director of Investments for Marcus & Millichap, to talk about the state of the real estate market. Barry works with investors, franchisees, and retailers on real estate issues, and he has been busy, very busy. Companies are looking to expand coming out of the pandemic, especially as their sales have been strong and financing apparently is readily available. We talk about the impact this demand is having on the market, how that's so different from one year ago, and what kinds of real estate is in heaviest demand, and what's not. It's an interesting update on real estate from Barry, so please have a listen. Okay, I'm here with Barry Wolf. Barry, welcome again to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. Great uh, catching up with you again. I uh, always love your writing and following what you guys, your whole publication. So no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the Thank opportunity. You. So uh, let's. Uh, uh, I wanted to to check in with you on the sort of state of, of of real estate right now, and 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 how are things going? I think that you know when we we were looking at this issue a little bit more than a year ago, the the expectation on the part of a lot of restaurants was that the real estate market was going to open up for expansion, and everybody was anybody who had cash to expand was going to find a wealth of opportunities. My guess is that that actually hasn't played out like that. Am I right or am I wrong? No, I think you're dead right. It really has not played out that way. I remember this time, give or take a year ago, you had Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, Raising Cane, some others that were just flush with cash. And they felt like, now's our opportunity. Uh, we're going to come across real estate at the rents we want to pay, the prices we want to pay. Just this A plus plus real estate. I'm Marie Chick Fil A as an example, telling their real estate guys go back to the market. Those sites we couldn't, you know, that wouldn't accept us, wouldn't accept the rent we're willing to pay. They're going to be begging for us now. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Chick Fil A is a phenomenal brand. Everybody wants them. Uh, but as far as the opportunities that you know, the rents we want to pay at you know, much lower rates than they were a year ago or pre-COVID, they're not going to be begging for us. Has definitely not played out that way. No, the real estate market, if I could think of any description for it, I'd say it's, it's white hot. I mean, it's just incredibly strong. It recovered quickly. And those opportunities that we thought would be out there, of uh, just vacant units all over, littering the landscape, fortunately did not come to pass, at least that I've come across and seen. One of my, I guess one of my thoughts on that is that one of the reasons it hasn't played out is, is sort of the way the market has has uh, sort of played out over the past, you know, 14 months where, you know, the restaurants that have closed have largely been sort of inline locations or they've been, you know, or, you know, or they casual dining in particular, you know, restaurants of that nature that aren't necessarily built for the way consumers use restaurants right now, which is they're going through the drive-through. They want easy in and easy out um, and to, to be able to get their takeout. And any site that has that ability that can be used for that is probably getting some really enormous uh, rents 
you know, certainly heavy demand, uh, at least from, you know, roughly everybody, as far as I know, yeah. is looking to build drive-through sites. Annie Ann's is looking at drive-through sites for crying out loud. So you can get drive-through pretzels. Literally everybody. Yeah, it does. It does make sense. But you, you got everybody looking for the same type of sites. And of course, you know, you know, we all know the law of supply and demand is that that results in some really, uh, um, you know, you, you've got to take some real, make some real effort to be able to, to get a, a really good drive-through site. Absolutely. And the prices of those sites have gone up, whether it's the price of the real estate, the price of the rent. Uh, absolutely. And it's not even just drive-through anymore. It's double drive-through and triple drive-throughs. And I mean, I was, I've got a client, he had a small strip, uh, like a four tenant strip prop center, and they basically cut a, a hole in the middle of it. And now they've got you know, two tenants with drive throughs uh, It was more profitable that way. So we're even seeing those sort of you know, really? retrofits. So no, absolutely. Anything with a drive through or drive through potential is in you know, very, very strong demand. I mean, the, the list, like you mentioned, Andy Ann's, I mean, the list of tenants that want or need drive through now are those that had single, but now really need double drive-through, like Panera is an example. Uh, that list is only growing. And I don't, I really don't believe this is a temporary blip or a COVID reaction that we'll look back in a year or two and you know, look, you know, that that's gone away. I think this is a a change in the market that will be, I think, permanent. I really do. Mm-hmm. Are, is there any um is, is there any part of the, the market for restaurants where where certain types of operators can find opportunity? I mean, I mean, obviously we know that the drive-through site, the drive-through or drive-throughable sites are um, are are really hot right now. But like, I mean, if you had a casual dining or or you had a concept that was, you know, that potentially experiential or or has casual dining, I mean, do you have opportunities in those segments or or not? I think we're seeing a little bit of that, seeing some more, I'd say, in the casual dining front. And it's funny you say experiential. I mean, actually, across the street from my office, there was a walk-ons that went dark uh, during COVID. Like one of their few, one of their very few locations went dark. So I don't say that to diminish walk-ons at all. It's a great brand. They're yeah. doing, I think, quite well. Uh, but they, they could, you know, that particular location did go dark. And Twin Peaks, as so happens, is backfilling it. And Frank put a, you know, doing a really nice refurbishment of the location. And you know, experience. I, I think I'd call that experiential retail, and they're going to be opening here shortly. I mean, they've been looking in that particular submarket. It was really tight, and they had this opportunity open up to you know to put a casual dining restaurant and, and obviously bar. Uh, but no, I mean that's that's one of the few. I mean, they're really. I'm not seeing a lot of vacant casual dining restaurants. So happens there is next door to that. There's a Sweet Tomatoes that. Obviously, went dark during COVID with the you know the company having gone you know, BK. Uh, that has not been backfilled yet. So I mean, I've got this uh, sweet tomatoes near me where I live that that has been backfilled. That we've got a you know, regional Italian restaurant that's going to be opening in there. Uh, so we're seeing a you know some opportunity on the casual dining side. I'd say more than on the fast food drive-through side, but still fairly limited in reality. Even there, we haven't seen the plethora of. And again, I. It, it, it's positive. I mean, it's wonderful that we have not seen the the number of vacant units that we thought we would see this time a year ago. So it's I'm ecstatic that that's been the case. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is this doing? Uh, what's your sense of what's what's this doing for 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 the value or the or or the cost of of, of any of of restaurants? I mean, if I'm a, an operator and I'm looking to expand, you know, am I going to pay more? 
I, I yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, it's market dependent. That's that's a given, and obviously, location dependent within markets. But generally speaking, yes, I would say so. I mean, whether that's a higher rent number if you're a tenant, or if you're looking to purchase in prime locations. I mean, purchasing is really really challenging. I, mean, I just talked with a fast food operator just before we hopped on this call, and you know, it's a you know, good brand QS, you know, fast casual type chain, and there are a couple of locations they would have loved to have bought it and do a sale lease back, but they, they couldn't purchase the land. They had to do a lease. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing a lot of that where the land just not for sale. Um, okay. the, the landowners want to do a, a build the suit or want to do a sale. You know, they want to own the real estate long term. There's just still, again, there's, there's not a lot of available real estate in good locations. So, yes, if you're a, whether that's casual dining or you know, fast food, I'd say if you're looking for new locations, uh, you're you're paying up in reality. Those those prices have have not gone down. If any, it, in the opposite, it's reality is the opposite. Rents have not declined; they've gone up. So absolutely, you're paying up for good real estate. There's no doubt. It's a mm -hmm. it's a seller's market. Right. Why would I guess that's a, the 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 one thing is why why wouldn't you try and sell this market if you had it? Because I I mean I. <laughs> It's hard for me to imagine it getting any crazier than it is now, and maybe that's just me. But you know, I mean, why? I mean, it, it, why are they deciding to just sort of keep the property instead of instead, instead of, of selling? Yeah. But I think if you've got some owners that they just their plan that they want to own, they want to own the real estate long term. They mm -hmm. want a good quality tenant. If they've got a Chick Fil A, a Panera, Chipotle, whoever it might be, they they want good quality tenants in their real estate, and they just want to own it long term. Uh, so, I mean, there are, regardless of market, there are definitely owners and I don't, I, I would never say it's the wrong approach. It's just, they like to own real estate long-term. It's just a, a generational hold. And, and there are others that take the approach, look, if I can sell it, you know, phenomenal cap rates or phenomenal pricing, maybe the best we've ever seen or in many years, then I'll, I'll take the opportunity. And that's, that's where we're at. I mean, the market is, it's a very, very strong seller's market right now on you know on the restaurant side even casual dining whereas this time a year ago casual dining was difficult to sell now there there's a there's plenty of buyers even for casual dining right from an investment standpoint so it sounds like if you're if you were going to get into the market to try to expand and you were a casual diner that you're probably your opportunity to get the best opportunities is probably passed yes I, I'd say, I mean, if you were looking at for certainly for distressed pricing or rental rentals rates, absolutely. I think that that ship has sailed. I would say maybe outside there's probably some opportunities in infill urban areas. Uh, I mean, that's an area that is still facing challenges. I do believe will recover. But if you get into downtown corridors or that's you know wherever you know frankly wherever, wherever the market is, um, those are still some challenges. New York is starting to see recovery. But a lot of markets are still facing challenges there. So if you've got a fast food or casual dining looking to go in inner city, Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, wherever it might be, there probably are still some opportunities there at rates that you probably couldn't have gotten in the past. So I think that's probably where the opportunity would, would still be. But at the same time, there it, it might be a couple more years before they see the recovery that they need to be profitable. So that, that's the challenge there. Right, right. So, so in other words, you can find opportunities if you're going into an urban area, um, but you've got to be able to have the wherewithal to 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 last a couple of years until until those markets really recover. I, I think so. Correct. I think so. Uh, whereas in the suburban markets, we've seen 
you know, particularly with you know, a lot of office users going out more to the suburbs, a lot of you know, individuals and people dining out more in the suburbs. I think that those areas have gotten much more challenged. But yes, I, I agree. I think that if you're going to find opportunities, it's probably more in the downtown urban cores, uh, mm-hmm. where frankly, there's still some challenges. So you got to be able to withstand that for a little bit. Right. That's still kind of a big change, I think, from pre-pandemic. Because like, if I recall correctly, and you can correct me on this one, if I recall, before the pandemic, those urban markets were really in high demand because you had a lot of these fast casual type restaurants that were moving in. And then you really had chains like Taco Bell and others that were kind of configuring. You had the whole Taco Bell Cantina concept, in fact, was built to go into urban areas. And then, of course, the pandemic changed that. And now Taco Bell is changing their cantina concept to go into suburban markets. Mm-hmm. So uh, that seems to be kind of one of the biggest change. And if you still think that you have, so if you have faith that long term, that uh, the urban markets are going to return, and I, I would imagine they eventually do. It could take a bit. I'm with you. I, it, it could take a couple of years, but I think eventually they, they probably return. And if you have that kind of wherewithal, it sounds like you can still see some opportunities in, in these places. I think so. And you might better structure some unique leases. Uh, I mean, I think there could be some opportunities to come in. Maybe it's a percentage rent deal for a couple of years where ticket space that's been vacant for a little while. And I mean, I think most owners in urban core realize the, the challenges at, at the moment. So I think it would be an opportunity to go into those areas and again, structure some fairly unique leases that help you ride through these next couple of years. I, yeah, I, I am a big believer that Offices will be back. Um, what will be into you know, the live, work, and play model? I, I do believe that will come back again in some of these urban core markets where they had really been exploding in recent years. Um, but it, but it could take a couple of years, so it might take a little bit of a unique lease structure, whether it's a lower lower base rate these first you know this next couple of years, or again more of a percentage rent model for a couple of years, and then kind of step into more a traditional lease type structure. But again, I think that's where you see a landlord potentially willing to work with you where you know suburban areas are they're not going to do that they don't need to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so who in you know when we 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 look at you know, i mean again the more competitive markets the suburban drive throughable type sites uh who has the advantage in those situations who has what i'm sorry who has the advantage like what between is landlord and between well landlord i mean and- we obviously the, the landlord has all the advantages at the yeah. moment but I, i'd imagine they can pretty much pick and choose who, who their prospective tenants are. And I'm guessing, like my, my question is, who among restaurants would have an advantage in a competitive set like that? Yeah, I think it depends on the, you know, the, the strategy of the landowner. I mean, if they're, although I'd, I'd say it's pretty similar. If you're built, if you wanna, if you're getting a tenant in there that you wanna hold or you're looking to sell, you're looking for what's the best credit I can get, who has the best lease structure, whether it's lease term, how much, you know, how many years, the rental rate obviously is critical, what they will pay. Uh, but I think it's, you get back to the, the haves and the have nots to a degree. I mean, the brands like McDonald's, obviously Chipotle, Starbucks, Panera, uh, Raising Cane's is one we've talked about. Uh, that's uh, just the brands that are considered the premier and they sell at very low returns, you know, very strong pricing if they decided to sell or you can get great debt on them or you just got what you feel like is gonna be a very secure tenant for the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So I'd say it's that, that type of tier. And then in casual dining, you know, the Outbacks, the, the brands that withstood and did what, you know, I'm not gonna say did well through COVID because very few casual dining chains did well, but they, they made it to the other side. The brands that have 
succeeded and they've got strong balance sheets and you feel comfortable they're going to survive. And you could, yeah, frankly, any brand that survived COVID, uh, you got to feel really good about for the long haul. I mean, you know, we, no recession has been one like we just experienced from the re- in the restaurant sector in reality, particularly, particularly casual dining. Yeah. The concern that I have, Barry, with this, I think is when we have markets such as this, we have a tendency for certain types of brands, especially private equity owned concepts, where they are, they have expansion demands and expansion goals in mind. And there's a lot of pressure on management teams to build a lot of locations. In these situations, we get cases in which the operators end up settling for higher prices than maybe they should. Do we have any concerns there? I mean, is that a possibility in situations like that? And then how do you, uh, how do you protect against it? Yeah, no, I think it is a possibility. Particularly, you mentioned private equity. I mean, I, I think that does remain a concern. I mean, they're you know, pre-COVID and certainly it'll be post-COVID. You've got brands that we've seen a lot of M&A activity in the restaurant space. And if I'm an owner, I would be leery of brands that are highly leveraged that you know, were part of an M&A activity or an acquisition. And uh, you know, you come great. I got them at a high rent, rental rate and the income looks fantastic, but do they have the long-term wherewithal? So now I think that is something to absolutely look at. And again, that's where I get back to the brands that you know, tenant, you know, landlords or owners are still very comfortable with. You look at, you know, again, on the fast cat, you know, fast food or fast casual, the the Panera, the Chipotle, the Starbucks, those sort of even raising canes that are flush with cash still. They made it through COVID very well. They're still very, very, very strong balance sheets. And again, like an Outback as an example of one that's just a strong company that's been out there for a number of years. They've got a strong balance sheet. But now I think they're absolutely or you know, brands you'd want to look out for that where they just went public and they've got you know huge cash infusions, but maybe it's highly leveraged or brands that were acquired by private equity. Um, I think that is absolutely something to pay attention to when you're kind of picking and choosing between between tenants. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I remember pre-COVID, this was a similar conversation we were having about a lot of these urban markets, you know, where, uh, you know, where there was, uh, you know, back in the fast casual and fast casual chains were just like, were, were just growing all over the place. And they were getting all this private equity money and all these private equity firms you know, we're demanding growth and, and it led a lot of these chains to, you know, a lot of these concepts to, uh, to pay some exorbitant prices for some of this real estate. And then of course, um, obviously the pandemic has sort of changed that, changed that game quite a bit. I mean, I don't necessarily get a sense that we would have a similar as bad of an issue here with drive-through sites simply because a lot of them are a lot of them, I mean, a lot of the companies we're talking about are, you know, larger franchise owned concepts where, you know, they, but it, it still seems that still gets to be a concern to me in a market like this is that you end up getting people paying high prices. And by the way, I mean, other costs are going up too. So you've got labor costs are going up, you've got food costs are going up and, and, and then, then you start taking rent into, in, into levels that, are uh, abnormally high levels, then you start suddenly get a an economic model that becomes uh, uh, that much more challenging, you know. And you know, we don't know how long the industry is going to remain in this fashion, where 
people are willing to accept high prices, which is right. what they're doing now. People are willing to accept high prices. We don't know how long that lasts. And so that's where I get concerned. No, I agree. And I think you've got to look at whether you're an investor buying a property or you're a landlord or frankly, yeah, obviously the tenant too. I think you've got to look at where is the cutoff? I mean, where can we be, you know, where can the operator be profitable? And if you're getting to a rental level where it's just not sustainable, that's not healthy. And, you know, as taxes go up, as insurance goes up, as you, know, as you said, you know, operating expenses are only going one direction. As those all happen, I think it's imperative, you know, for the landlord and the, for all the parties to, you know, set a rental rate where the tenant can ultimately survive and frankly thrive and be successful. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it seems, I mean, I guess that to your point, I mean, that seems like, uh, like if you're a landlord, I mean, you don't want to go too ridiculous on some of these rents. I mean, it seems like you would be cutting off your nose to spite your face in some of these situations because you don't, you know, you don't want to put, put a, a, a tenant in a situation where they can't pay their rent in a few years. Agreed. And even, you know, sale leaseback, we see a lot of sale leaseback activity on the market always, whether that's a franchisee or corporately. I, I mean, it's important to, you know, for the tenant to be realistic there too, and set a rent level where they can ultimately be successful. I mean, it's no, it's no good if you set a rental rate, whether that's in the landlord tenant relationship or a, you know, on a sale leaseback where that's just too thin and, you know, you ultimately are just scraping by. I mean, it, it needs to be sustainable. I mean, you need to have strong rent to sales ratios and, needs to be something where it's profitable in the good times and the bad. Mm-hmm. Does it help to kind of look at who the landlord is? I mean, it would seem to me that the one of the bigger uh, potential risks is that you have a landlord that is looking to potentially get out of that property in a few years, and they might not necessarily have uh, the best interest of the tenant in mind. I mean, does it help if you're a tenant and you kind of look at who this landlord is? Yeah, I could. That's possible. Uh, I mean, ultimately, I guess the tenants just got to know what where they can make the deal work, what kind of rental rate they need can be at to be profitable. And if it gets to the point where it's just not viable economically or it's too thin, I guess as a tenant, you need to have the, the wherewithal to move on and you know look for other real estate, other locations. Mm-hmm. Right. Super. Barry, this was fantastic. Really appreciate uh, you joining us again on the podcast. Always love talking to you and getting Likewise. a sense of where the market is. Likewise. No, always. Um, sorry for all these calls. <laughs> always. No, it, it's, 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 it's an interesting sector. It really is. And yeah, yeah. I think all these calls are kind of a reflection of, you know, to a degree of kind of the market strength with you know, what we're talking about. I mean, I've got brokers and investors that are calling us literally every day Really? Looking for the you know real estate, at least to, to to restaurant chains, and as we take deals to the market, we're getting a you know significant offer activity, and just again, it's a reflection of the strength of the sector and the buyer investor interest in real estate, at least to restaurants. Yeah, man, I'm not entirely certain I would have predicted this a year ago. I I know, I mean, I know I would not have predicted this yeah. a year ago. I thought the industry was dead. I didn't either. I mean, I remember telling my wife, and you know, just kind of the depths of this when you're just. I, I, you and I both, we love the restaurant sector. We really, we work, we you know, talk with daily with restaurant operators and people in the industry. And I remember saying, you know, probably about this time a year ago, I really thought I'd drive down the street where I live and, you know, okay, they made it. They went out of business. They went out of business. They made it. And just, it, it, that didn't happen. I mean, thank goodness it didn't happen. I mean, it, it did happen in the Great Recession a decade ago. We lost a lot of restaurant operators. And I, I don't minimize because, I mean, a lot of restaurants did go out of business. And for those operators and the folks in those businesses, it's been devastating. Uh, but it, it's not been nearly as bad as I thought it would be in reality. 
Right. No, no, it definitely wasn't, sir. This was fantastic. Again, thank you very much for coming. Thanks, Jonathan. Be well. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimberly Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Restaurant business members enjoy exclusive benefits from access to unlimited premium content and members-only research from Technomic to monthly recipe demos and private roundtables with restaurant business editors. Subscribe now with code RBPODCAST21 to access your free 30-day trial to unlock industry insights that will move your operation forward.